I am Jimbo Paris, and you are listening to the Jimbo Paris Show. Today we have an amazing guest, Maxwell Ivy, and I'll tell you right now, he has been very, very patient. He has waited here for a bit because, sorry again, guys, I was late, but let's see what he has to say. How's it going? It's going good. How are you doing? Great, great. So I'm interested to know, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you're about, what your message is? Right. Well, who I am, I think at the at the core of it is two things. I love helping other people, and I'm continuing to change and evolve. So I'm not... A, I'm still not yet where I've probably will end up being, but uh, I grew up in a family of carnival owners in Texas. I also grew up knowing eventually I was going to lose most, if not all of my vision. I was lucky enough to be able to graduate from traditional high school and college, one of the few blind Eagle Scouts. And I also participated in the family business until my dad's death. Uh, since then, I have started a website where I help people sell used carnival equipment. I have also started a site where I encourage people by sharing my life experiences and the lessons they can take from them at theblindblogger.net. I've written four books, been on hundreds of podcast interviews, traveled the country solo, sung in public, motivational speaker. Eventually, I was challenged to start my own podcast, which is called What's Your Excuse? And that has led to my producing a show for another blind person, uh, a blind snowboarder named Emily Trempignier that's called Shredding for Gold. And I now have a podcast network called the WYE Network, where I'm helping other people with disabilities launch their own podcasts or grow existing audiences. So just continuing to do the next thing, trying to find that one thing that um, basically blocks out everything else to where you know that you're finally there, you know? Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting story. And what actually motivated you to become a motivational speaker? Uh, part of it was just I enjoy telling stories, and I was happy to find out that that's actually a, a form of speaking. And it was really uh, a lot of people had seen my work as a podcast guest, and they had read some of my writings, and they thought I would make a good public speaker. And so I put it out to people that I was interested in giving it a try. And my friend Joe Pardo, who hosts the Dreamers podcast, he was talking to me after the show. And a few months later, I ended up speaking at his event in Philadelphia. It's kind of funny how my first speaking event ended up being 1,500 miles away from my house, and it just turned out that way. You speak. So what do you actually enjoy about speaking? You know, because I think everyone has like a different reason why they like to kind of speak and talk publicly in front of people. That takes a lot of confidence as well as a, a lot of motivation too because it's not easy just constantly going up and speaking to people well the one thing that i think speaking has in common with being a a podcaster and with being a writer is if you're telling your story then you really don't have a whole lot to worry about you know there aren't any questions people can ask me i don't know the answer to and basically i share past experiences some of them recent some of them way back in the way back and uh, explain what lessons I think people can take from them. For, you know, for example, I often talk to people about overcoming the uh, fear of starting a podcast or writing a book. And I talk to them about how the first time I recorded a video for my website, I left the lights off and people, people noticed it. And a third of the people said, Max, you recorded that in a cave. You need to do it again. Two-thirds of the people said, you know, Max, you gave us a really good metaphor there. It's like the blind guy is going to take our hands and lead us out of the darkness into a better world. And I was like, that really wasn't what I was going for. I just messed up and left it out there. So a lot of times in my public speaking is uh, experiences. I generally talk about one of two different directions. I either talk about starting a new project, usually a blog or a podcast, or I talk about overcoming adversity and going after people's goals and, and dreams. And in that area, I generally talk about three principles, which are being willing to ask for help and accept help when offered, being just dis, uh, deciding to find solutions instead of making excuses and being determined to find the positive in all aspects of life. And I know those none of those are new 
and none of them are easy at first, but you know, with practice, they will work for people. And I generally can, I generally have a few stories I can share where I have applied those in my own life and it's worked out. Please, please share those stories. I'm interested. Okay. One of my, you know, it's one of those kind of a good news, bad news story. I, I went to New York City in 2018 as part of a three city trip. I was going to speak at three different WordCamp events. And for people who don't know what that is, it's conferences to help people that are bloggers or run businesses off of WordPress to get better at what they're doing. And I went to the first one in Philadelphia. Things were pretty good there. On the way to New York, I got sick. I was so sick that uh, I couldn't really talk during the week. So I wasn't able to sell any books or get hired for any new clients. And I just barely managed to give my talk on just press, just press send, don't let fear keep you from your dreams when my voice gave up for good. And, uh, the problem was I, since I didn't bring in any money and I didn't budget enough money to start with, I was broke and sick and about to be homeless in New York City. Well, it turned out that over the years, I had built up a community online. I had built a community I teach people about building. And so I started letting people know that I needed help. And the next thing I knew, I had a guy who, who provided me money to rent hotel rooms and another one who another woman from Texas actually who provided me the money to get the train back to Texas. And then when I got back to Texas, I had friends who met me at the train and got me home, even though I was so sick I didn't know where I was some of the time. So it was it was like, yeah, I, I got myself into a bad situation by doing what I usually do, which is you know, saying yes to opportunities, even when sometimes I probably should have said no. But you know, I got out of the situation because I had these friends and many of them I've never met in person, probably never will meet in person. But, you know, I reach out to them. I say hi. I get to know them. We share each other's content. We become friends online. And at some point when you really need somebody to show up, if you have right. a strong enough community, it can happen. So things like that are the kind of short stories I share with people, um, you know, how uh, you know, another another time I was uh, part of the scouting weekend back when I was in high school. We went out on a bass fishing day and we actually lost the boat. The, the boat sank and had to be towed out of the lake. But the guy who lost the boat, he stayed positive and he said, you know, guys, I noticed y'all didn't do a very good casting today. So he took us over to the dock. And, and and taught us how to cast. And then he kept us going all day because he believed that we were actually going to catch something from that dock. We never did, but because he believed it would happen, we believed. And we had a good afternoon. Uh, you know, we had a great story for the rest of them when they came back with their fish. And we were given an award for sportsmanship. And at the end of the day, everybody, we, we shared each other's fish you know, we sang the usual camp songs and it was a good day. But it's one of those times where a lot of bad things happen. But because the person I was around decided to, to, to find something good in the day, we were able to. And that's one of those things that I've been able to carry throughout the rest of my life. When bad things happen, there's usually something good you can take out of, but you have to look for it. And sometimes you have to look for it really hard. And sometimes you even have to get somebody to help you look, you know. I like to finish that off by telling people that finding the positive in your life is kind of like finding the TV remote. You know it's there somewhere, and you just keep looking until you find it, you know? So those are those are some of the things I talk to people about when I do public speaking. I enjoy the immediate response of it. I have learned since COVID that I didn't think I would really miss public speaking because I felt like it was only three or four times a year that I, I did it. But I really do miss uh, not just the immediate reaction of applause, of other audio responses, but the uh, the meeting people, getting to know people before and after it's your turn, you know, the green room, the uh, networking, you know, the, the trivia night, whatever it happens to be. You know, I just really enjoy all that goes into it. And I think that's another thing that, you know, makes it easier on me as a speaker is because I think a lot of people get really nervous. They get nervous because they're going to go, they're going to give their talk and they're going to leave. You know, it's the only reason they're there. 
if you have other reasons that you're there, then the speech becomes a little less important and a little less scary. So from what I could tell, you have a very, very powerful and strong community. How do I think a lot of people are wondering now, how do they also build a community that strong and that um that connected to them? Well, it's it's simple and it's cliche, but really it just starts with being a good friend and it starts with helping other people and putting other people ahead of ahead of what you need. It starts by not worrying about how many people there are that are connected with you or following you or that you know to speak to, but you know, how what do you know about them? What have you done for them in the last day, week, month or year to help them accomplish their goals? So this is how you build a community. You find out what interests them. You try to learn about them. uh, You try to help them whenever possible. And the other thing is, is you let them get to know you. Because one of the things that really gets in the way of a lot of connections, especially during these times where it's all online, is people being afraid to let the other person see who they really are and know what what they really care about. You know, we still have way too many people that are worried more about the impression they make then about the results, about the connections, about the accomplishments, or even just about the experiences, good or bad, because they're worried about what's the other person going to think. And I get that, especially for somebody that's running a business online. I can understand how they don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to be honest and authentic and let people see it all. But there are just way too many people that are still focused on the superficial I recently heard somebody say that on social media, too many people are the A side of the record. You know, there's there was always a B side of an album or or a 45 record. And most of the time, the B side was not great. But sometimes there were some real classics on the B side. But you had to flip the disc over and listen in order to find that out. And there's too many people focused on on putting out that image as opposed to letting people see who they really are. And. You don't become good friends with somebody that you keep at arm's length. You know, you don't you don't generate the friendship, the kind of person that will, you know, that will uh, buy you a hotel room or the kind of person that will even help you move if you're hiding a good chunk of who you are from from them on a regular basis. So as much as you possibly can, given your personal circumstances, given your goals, as much as you possibly can, let people see the real you. That's the most important place to start if you're looking to build a community. And I'll be honest, over the years, I've had coaches tell me, you know, Max, uh, I know your brand is about authenticity, but could you be a little less authentic? You know, so it it happens. It happens. But, yeah, um, I have a really good friend named Lorraine Regulate, and she's been my editor on my books. And she she has a website called wordingwell.com. I really I would have eventually published without her, but I wouldn't be nowhere near as good as I am without her. But she used to be afraid to let people know her story, that she was raped as a teenager while still a virgin, that she went into drug use and prostitution and was a single mother. She thought that people would hold that against her and not want to hire her now that she's a successful author, poet, artist, and public speaker. But what happened is, is that People wanted to hire her more to help them edit and publish their books. It was like, you know, if you could share your story, a story that's that difficult for you to tell, then you're the perfect person to help me tell my difficult, embarrassing, traumatic stories that I want to put out in my book. So it really did help her. But she had to find the courage to let people see all of her and not just the part that she wanted to put out into the world. And I am very honored that I was part of, I was one of the people who helped her come to understand that it's only through people understanding who we really are that we can build those kind of connections to where somebody, you know, if they're at a party and they go, you know, I've been thinking about writing a book for a long time, but there's just so many reasons why I can't. Well, you need to talk to so-and-so because they helped this guy who can't even see publish four books so far. You know, that's, that's the kind of friends you, you can only develop if you let them see who you truly are. How do you actually become authentic? Why were you so naturally authentic and open with people? Was it just something that you naturally had or what do you think was it? I think part of it was growing up with a dad who used to say that uh, if 
if you don't have anything to hide, then why do you need a lawyer kind of approach to things? But I, I think it's also just noticing that the ones who seem to uh, to do the best over the longest period of time are the ones who aren't faking it. The ones who are, you know, are going to let you see warts and all. And, you know, I did it quite a bit in the beginning and it worked for me. Now there, there are some industries where it, you know, it can be a real, it can be a real problem. And I hate that because I think that it really gets in the way of making connections. But I, back about seven or eight years ago, I sold a carousel for, for man up in Vermont and I sold it to some people in Australia. And I wrote a post about it on that website on the Midway Marketplace where I help people sell used rides. Well, carnival people are very, very territorial, very closed mouth. Uh, they're always worried somebody's going to get something over on them that their competitors will use any advantage to steal a booking or to steal help or, you know, to purchase a piece of equipment at a lower price. And I wrote a post about selling that carousel and I got an email from the people who bought it like, uh, Max, we do not appreciate one bit you letting people know what we paid for the ride. Now, I don't know if it was a tax issue or they didn't want their festival boards knowing. I don't know what their problem was. But I realized yeah. then that if I was going to be as authentic as I want to be, I had to have another website where I could do that. Because I realized that, you know, as far as brokering amusement park equipment, that's not a community that wants authenticity, which is why I said earlier <laughs> – as much as reasonably possible, given your industry and your goals. I think, you know, it's just so shocking to me how, you know, some people will actually do that in the hopes that it will actually bring them up a level. In reality, they're actually losing themselves, if that makes sense. Well, it makes a lot of sense. They they lose the truth of who they are in the lie of who they want to be. And the other thing that happens is that sooner or later, they will get found out. And it'll be embarrassing, if not an actual scandal. Or what happens more and more nowadays is people are are more, I think they're smarter about things like that than they used to be. If you're putting out a fake persona out there, people, a lot of people will, will sense it. And they may not openly be hostile to you, but they'll just quietly go the other direction. You know, but we've had some great examples. We I went to speak at uh, PodFest a couple of years ago, and as I'm checking in, I'm talking to the hotel security people because I, I like to get to know the staff because I never know when I might need somebody to help me in the middle of the night because I get lost in hotels. But uh, he was like, he's like, man, we were having this convention for video podcasters last week, and this woman rolled up in a Lamborghini that was, uh, what's that, wrapped, you know, where the they put the paint and stuff on the body of the vehicle. Yeah. She showed up wow. in this lab it says she showed up in this Lamborghini tripped out tricked out like Mario from from uh from the, the video game. He said then the next day she showed up in one tricked out like Luigi from the video game. He said, man, I'm in the wrong business. I said, I said, don't get too upset about it. This is Orlando, Florida where you can rent anything. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, you could rent that. That's what I, that's that was my initial response. You got to remember, I come from the uh, from the event planning industry. You know, I've got friends who rent who rent anything from a horse drawn carriage to a gondola Ferris wheel. So that was my <laughs> first reaction when I heard him. You know, he's he's up, he's disappointed. He's like, man, I'm in the wrong business. Nope, it's Orlando. Google it. I bet you you can rent that stuff. And then my brother told me that when you buy a Lamborghini, you sign a waiver saying that you'll never do anything like that to one of their cars. So it had, if it wasn't rented, it was temporary. Kind of like a temp tattoo, maybe sort of a thing. But <laughs> you know, if I, if, if I could come to that conclusion, how many more people you think came to that conclusion? I don't know. I think, I think, you know, a decent amount would too. Like this person is flexing, trying to look good, but you're an authentic person though. And authentic people are rare. So. It could depend. Uh, yeah, it could. It could. Uh, I think that the diff. I think that authentic people are rare, but I think a lot of it is is that many people who are authentic just haven't start haven't gotten to the point of putting themselves out into the world and letting more people see that they're authentic. I think a lot of authentic people are still a little nervous that by by being their authentic self, they may may be taken advantage of, and there's still that old old fear of what if I share too much with the wrong person. You know, so it's 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 difficult. I 
I, I think the people that think everything have have problems are different than my problems. I have had people who have reached out to me, though, who have said, you know, you really should work on phrasing your answers in a more positive way. And I'm like, at this point, you know, I'm 55 years old. I've been I've been online since 2007. I've been approaching approaching the world pretty much the same way since then, or if not, if not earlier. And I just don't know that I could change if I wanted to. So I do it this way. Other people, you know, they're going to put on a good show and make you think they're better than they are. Well, which one do you think lasts longer? That's the question you got to ask yourself. You know, yours will definitely last longer. And I think a lot of those inauthentic people, they may look good on the outside, but, you know, they're like, they're actually struggling on the inside, you know? Yeah. A lot of people with new cars and new homes, or in my case, a lot of people who I used to, used to know better that have huge carnival midways, a lot of them are not happy people because they may have had to do things or forget things in order to become that financially successful. You know, one of the things I am kind of, I'm open about is that I I do a lot of great work for people. I'm very satisfied with what I do and the people I help. But I'm also honest to admit that I would like to make more money doing it. I would like to be more financially successful. But I'm smart enough to keep the two separate, you know, and just because I'm not making six or seven figures like every guru and their brother says you have to if you want to be considered a success in this world doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing what I do or that I'm going to go, man, that stuff, those people you're helping, they need to go help themselves because or they need to start paying you more money. Or I just don't really get involved in that sort of thing. But you know what I'm talking about. There are way too many coaches who. The end all and be all of success is book sales, merch sales, total gross. <laughs> you know, and to me, you know, I I am really happy that a woman from Canada calls me the producer of her podcast. And I feel like, you know, we're building something at the Y network and that eventually it's going to be the kind of thing that's that's going to help a lot of other people overcome the overwhelm and share their stories and possibly help and encourage and educate more people. I think it has a real, real possibility for good. And who knows? It, I think it eventually will make money. I have the, the people that host the pop, my podcast, What's Your Excuse? And the people who are providing the hosting for the, the What's Your Excuse Network uh, at Blubbery, they see it as a very exciting niche. And more than once, my contact there has said, Max, it's just a matter of time before people are going to want to sponsor this. He said, they're just, he said, the only thing is they're going to want to take you away from us in order to do that. He said, I said, well, I, I'm such a tech challenged person that they'd have to offer me a lot of money to go somewhere else, you know, um, <laughs> because it would mean, you know, moving websites and moving podcast feeds and changing social. It's just, it'd be more trouble than it's worth unless there was Austin Powers money attached to it, you know, crazy money. But, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm hoping that somebody that's watching or listening today knows somebody that wants to start a podcast that either has a disability or enjoys advocating for or supporting people with disabilities or, or works at an organization, a foundation, or a government agency that's been thinking about starting a podcast. I mean, me, I could definitely see an organization that has continual fundraising needs getting a lot of value out of having a podcast. I mean, you put regular content out there showing how you're helping people, showing the people that you've worked with, letting them tell their stories on your podcast. To me, that's like, that's like free. That's like free effort as far as, you know, generate publicity that can lead to fundraising. But that's the yeah. way I see it. So, yeah, I could definitely, yeah. I could definitely agree with you on a lot of those things. And, you know, for me personally, and there was this other guy I interviewed, like, that owns a Christian radio station. We both kind of struggled with that whole tech management thing. I'll be real with you. my I've got people around me that are way better at video editing, way better at using tech than I am, you know. And that this is another big thing. How do you – how did you kind of build that circle of people to kind of help you with your business, because you're also a businessman and an entrepreneur. I would consider you that as well. Right. Well, 
a lot of it just comes down to allowing people to know what I need because most of the people that have helped me over the years have not gotten paid for it or they haven't gotten paid what they usually charge or they've given me installments or I've exchanged services with them. So perfect example, go back to Lorraine Regulate. I'm running the Midway Marketplace nine years ago, 10 years ago. And she notices, uh, we were both commenting on the same blog. And she notices that when she visits my website, my images are showing up in the middle of the text, which is very annoying and will cause most people to just click off and go to a different website. And so she reaches out to me. She goes, Max, I know you don't know this, but here's what's happening. I'd love to help you with it. She said, I don't want nothing for it. I just want to know that I've done something good for a guy that's putting out great content. So we got on uh, Skype because that was before everybody was on Zoom. And we talked about it and we figured out there was one setting I had wrong that was centering my images instead of, or it was instead of left justifying them or vice versa. And we fixed that one setting and it all went away. And then a little later, a couple years later, when, you know, I had this book that I was ready to publish, it was like, Max, I'm going to help you publish this book. So, and on that one, I did pay her, but it was on installments and it was just a matter of, we're going to do this. And as a result, you know, she's had the experience of working with an award-winning self-published author who she helped get published and who she continues to use in her marketing materials. So that's another thing that works for me. I, If somebody does something I need or want, and they do a good job, I'm going to promote my ass off for them. That's just the way I do things. So I give value in other ways besides cash. And then, of course, another thing I do is I decide whether or not I really need something before I start putting it out there that I want it or need it. For example, you talk about editing. I am horrible at editing. I have no interest in editing. I have no budget for editing at this point. But I have a few people I can go to 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 edit if I absolutely need them to. Um, So what did I do? I told people from the very beginning that this podcast is not edited. It is what they used to call back in the day, golden age of television. This is recorded live. That means we're not broadcasting it live, but we're not editing this stuff. Whatever you say is whatever you say. If you don't like it, then you're going to have to you're going to have to pony up to get this thing edited out. And so far, nobody's actually gone for that. So that's one of the ways I get I get around it. And, you know, with my brand of overcoming excuses, you know, of of what's your excuse? When I tell people, hey, I just decided not to edit because editing would have kept me from releasing my content. Everybody's like, man, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, for the most part, it hasn't been a problem. You know, the 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 real problem has and actually the funny thing has been. If you look at my video content over the years, when I first started, I was using the camera on my laptop and the audio recorder on my laptop and sometimes Zoom on my laptop. No external lighting, just the lighting over my head from a ceiling fan. And I'm sure your your audience can imagine just how bad that was. Still, I built an audience. People tuned in. They downloaded my episodes. Eventually, I upgraded to a uh, an LED light system so that it puts light on my face, which isn't ideal because sometimes the light goes off and I don't know it, and sometimes I'm not perfectly in focus for the lamp, but it's better. A little later on, somebody talked me into buying an external camera. So I've got this HD camera up on my shelf, so now people are looking at me or down at me instead of up at me, which I understand is also very distra- distracting and annoying. So we've been working on it over time. But if people want to go back and look at my YouTube channel, they can go back in time and they can go, Max, you look horrible then. You're okay now. But even even now, even now I've been told, you know, Max, you really should get a new computer so you can run a virtual background so people don't see out of your closet or your bed. And, the, and, oh I'm, like, my hey. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I am, a, you know, I'm all about authenticity. I'm doing this for my bedroom, same as everybody else is nowadays. You know, bedrooms, closets, attics, cellars, basements, garages, car. I have a friend in in North Carolina who does his from the bed of his F-150 pickup truck because that's the only place he knows he can have quiet and people won't bother him. So, but, you know, we've, we've gradually improved things over time. But even if we go back to the really bad video content, it didn't stop me from building an audience. So 
that's a lot of it. Be authentic. Let people know what you need, but decide what you need. You know, in my in my first book, Leading You Out of the Darkness into the Light, I talk about how we have to set our own goals and not just use other people's goals. That way too many people get in pro- in problems because they're going after somebody else's dream, not their own. It's the same thing when with your resources. I mean, if you don't feel like you absolutely have to have something to go online, then don't do it. You know, maybe you find out later you really should have done it, but don't let that be an obstacle. Don't let it be an excuse. And that's how I, I've, I've done things. And thankfully, the recorded live thing has worked. Um, my podcaster, Emily Trepanier, she's editing a little, but she has better tech skills than I do. And she's yeah. younger than I am, which always helps with technology. And I'm convinced there's a reverse age learning curve with technology and there's nothing we can do about it. So those are some of the ways that I manage technology is sometimes I just don't manage it. And sometimes I get help from friends and sometimes I hire people. Just depends on how bad I need it, how soon I need it and what the budget is like at that moment. That's really interesting. And you mentioned one thing, what actually motivates people to focus on other people's dreams? Well, a lot of it is just seeing somebody else being successful. And you feel like if they can do it, then you can do it. But the problem is, is if you don't have any real curiosity or passion, a lot of times doing what other people are doing just isn't going to work for you. You know, when I first started the Blind Blogger, one of the things I thought I would be doing is I thought I'd be coaching, helping people accomplish their goals. But what I found out after two years is that nobody wanted me to do that for them. What they wanted to know was how did Max get on podcasts? How did Max get featured in online magazines? You know, how did he get speaking gigs? That's what they wanted to know. So what I finally realized is I could either keep doing something they didn't want it, want, which is coaching, or I could start doing something they wanted and were willing to pay for, which is what I call online media publicity work. And so that's what I've done. I've I've found the the goal that, that Max is interested in that also pays bills. And so that's what I mean about other people's goals. My friends and family, very well-meaning people, online community, very well-meaning people. It just didn't work for me. It wasn't something that was a good fit or that not only for me, but also wasn't a good fit for the people on the other side of the Internet. So a lot of it is really just, you know, you think you would be good at something or your friends, family, coworkers think you'd be good at something. And sometimes they're right. You know, the people that said I would be good as a podcast host, they were right. The people that said I would be great as a uh, as a publicist, they were right. People who said I'd be great as an author, they were right. People who said I would be great as a coach, they were wrong. So, but it really just does come down to just because your friends and family think you would be great at it doesn't mean you will. If you don't have a curiosity or a passion or an extreme financial motive that will cause you to do things that you don't really care to be doing, then you're not going to succeed long term. You know, the Kardashians are one of the best examples going. There are millions of people around the world open to be the next YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram star who gets paid thousands of dollars every time they put a post out. You know, very few people can accomplish that. And there are even a lot of people who have generated huge followings but still can't monetize those followings because it's just not them, you know. So the other thing is, is a lot of times we can build a following but a huge following of uninterested people or a huge following of people who are only interested when we have something really exciting to tell them is not as good as a small group of people that are very loyally invested in everything we do. You know, so. So what you're saying is quality is better than quantity? Always has been. <laughs> always will be. It's a hard thing. To, it's a hard thing to do, though. You know, that's that's the problem. So many of the things in the world we know to do them. You know, we know that affirmations will work over time. We know that if we exercise more, eat more complex carbohydrates, more, more lean meat and less, less fast foods and, you know, less starches that we will lose weight. You know, we know, we know that, that if you break a big task down into small steps, eventually you will accomplish it. You know, we know so many things we know, but knowing them and doing them is a whole other thing, you know. That's where the problem comes in. I, I'm known for uh, talking about uh, finding solutions, and one of the things I've talked to people about is how 
finding a solution is easy, but finding, but generally those solutions don't turn out to be things you want to do. You know, when I was building an email list for the Midway Marketplace, and I didn't know that was what I was doing at the time. I was just trying to give people a reason to open my emails so that maybe I could get them to talk to me and maybe I could get them to list their equipment for sale on my website. So I offered to add a text link to my website for each of these companies in the amusement industry. And I would go to directories. I would find their website. I would enter all their information on a page on my website. And then I would send them an email and I would say, I just added this page. It doesn't cost you anything. It won't cost you anything. But if you will let me send you an email a week, never more than one a week, I will leave this up and it will help drive traffic to your website. And they all went for it. Nobody ever said, no, thanks. Take it back down. Well, you imagine how imagine how many hours, how much tedious, mind-numbing grind work it took to do that to eventually build an email list of over five thousand companies. You know, did I want to do it? No. Did I enjoy doing it? No. But it was the best answer I had at the time. You know, I had to learn how to hand code HTML in the early days because that was the only way I could get my website online. Would I have? Would, did I want to do it? No. Did I enjoy doing it? No. Was I good at it? Absolutely. Hell no. I was not good at it. <laughs> Ask any person that's ever coded to look at the code from my website from the from the from the early two thousand or excuse me late two thousands early early twenty tens and you know you'll probably have to buy them a stiff drink after they look at it in a while and uh, not just the code but when I picked the colors for the website I made some very bad choices based on color names because obviously I can't see the colors mm-hmm. and my yellow turned out to be an ice cream and yellow my blue turned out to be a navy. My red turned out to be a dark brick. My orange turned out for previous previously clicked links turned out to be a fluorescent orange, like something you see off of a dive bar. It was plus I couldn't edit my images. I just had to post the images people sent me. So you might have two or three different size pictures on the same page together. You know, it was it was very vivid, very bright, you know, and it was and more than once people have said, you know, Max, Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder could argue over this thing. It's that, you know. And <laughs> And if people if people doubt me, they can go to a website called archive.org and you can go and look at websites back in previous times. And if they'll look at midwaymarketplace.com from 2008 or 2009, they will realize I'm not making this up. It was bad. Uh, it served the purpose of putting equipment in front of people where they could see it, like it, decide they had to have it and eventually buy it. So it served its purpose. And for yeah. five years, it was five years. It was hideous, but it, it helped me self hundreds of thousands of dollars of used rides on five continents. So, you know, these are things I had to do. Did I enjoy doing them? No. Did I want to do them? No. Was I any good at them? Most of the time, no. (laughs) So like I say, finding solutions is easy. Finding solutions you like is generally a lot harder. And especially in the beginning of something, you're going to have to do stuff that's dirty, greasy, mind-numbing, repetitive, painful, difficult, but if you can make it through those days where you where you have more muscle, you have more effort, more hustle than you have cash or credit, you will get there. You know, I so that's those are those are what I talk about when I talk to people about finding solutions because you know we know what we need to do. You know, just like all the famous stuff from every personal development book that's ever been published, we know what to do. The difficult thing is getting people to do it, including ourselves. And I don't think I'm speaking just for myself when I say ourselves there. There are all things that we we struggle with and we make excuses about. The great thing for me is for some reason, even though everybody has their own difficulties and their own challenges, for some reason, the fact when the blind guy says it, it seems to have just a little bit more impact. And it helps to get a few more people unstuck than when other people say. Or so I've been told. I have a looming question in the back of my head concerning... How does go ahead? Yeah, with your vision, um, how does blogging and writing HTML all that work? Because in my eyes, that that sounds almost impossible. <laughs> well, part of it, it it helps a lot when you know that back when I had vision, that yeah. I started using I started using a typewriter at you know eleven, twelve, thirteen years about the time I was declared legally blind. And had a big loss of vision. By then, I was using a typewriter on a regular basis. And I had a manual typewriter even before then, which nobody, most people don't remember electric typewriters, much less manual ones. 
but I, you know, so I got used to using a keyboard. Computers really didn't come along in full force until after I graduated from college and even later than that. So it's just a matter of, of knowing your keyboard. And then when you, when you edit a text document and really when you're creating a website, all you're really doing is creating a text document that has some funny extra characters in it. And that when you save it, you save it as .htm or .html instead of .docs or .word or .txt. So you have a screen reader. You have a text-to-speech engine. So you can go character by character, word by word, line by line. And as long as you are pretty familiar with your keyboard, you just type what you need to type. You enter the HTML characters where you need to enter them. And then you can either test the page on your computer or you can just go ahead and upload it to the website and let it test it there. And if you if you broke something, that was when the fun began because then you're stuck with a document that may be anywhere from a few hundred characters to a few thousand characters trying to find the one place where your symmetry is off and you've left out a period or a slash or a less or a greater than. And, uh, but you know, I've talked to people who code, who can see, and they've all told me that they think I have an advantage when it comes to coding because your ears can't cross your eyes can. And so, you know, as long as you don't just get so tired that you're not able to pay attention to what you're doing, hearing the code may actually be easier than, than looking at it. Uh. And, and I never even thought about that till just now. My brother used to joke that when he would code, that the less than and greater than started looking like rhombuses, that things would start to run together on the screen. But I mean, so, but the thing is, is if you if you're doing it with speech, though, you don't have the you don't have the advantage of being able to scan a document and maybe you get lucky and you you notice something that's wrong without having to go back and just examine everything one character at a time. So that would be an advantage. I think it's probably a push. But, you know, as far as writing a book, generally, again, you just open a text document and you type it in. And then you can either, well, I I've, I always edit it myself. And then since I know that visual appeal is a big thing as far as whether or not people will buy a book or read a book or enjoy reading that book, I then send my stuff off to Lorraine as she does the professional editing and formatting and submitting it to Amazon and uh, other websites where people can buy my book. Uh, but again, it's just a text document. As long as you remember that it's, just a text document was, you know, with some extra with it. Well, Lorraine gets mad at me because I don't leave enough blank space in my text documents when I write my books. But, you know, it's an HTML document, a book, a chapter in a book, a, a page for a blog. It's all just a text document. And as long as you just remember that, it's pretty easy. There are uh, programs that will help you as far as editing or formatting with your blog. I have yet to try them with the ones that offer similar services for books because I haven't found one of those that's accessible yet. But yeah, it's uh, it can appear daunting. And I have a lot of sighted friends who still wonder how a blind person has a blog, much less a podcast, and now a podcast network. But really, it, it just comes down to, to doing what you can each day, trying to do the most important things, trying to ignore the, ignore the stuff that's just screaming for your attention and trying to show up every day. You know, that's that's the thing. It's to do what I do, to do what so many other people do who also have challenges like family, dogs, jobs, you know, kids, older parents, physical disabilities, sicknesses of their own. They still show up. It's difficult to do it every day. Uh, we just have to do our best. And then at the end of the day, I was actually disappointed when she stopped saying this, but Ellen DeGeneres used to end her show every day with say, telling people to go out and be kind to themselves. I feel like there's no way any of us are really going to finish everything that we need to do or want to do by the end of the day or by the time we go to bed. So we just have to remember, hey, we are not, this is not the principal's office. This is not our parents. This is we are not intended, you know, to be mean to ourselves because we didn't meet our expectations, which were usually way 
over what we should have expected for the day in the first place. It's just my opinion. And when it comes to all of this, you know, you, you kind of go by the name the blind blogger. Why do you go by that name? Well, I didn't cho- I didn't choose the name. You see, one of the things that happens, yeah, one of the things that happens when you're visually impaired, and I hear it happens off, often with people who have other kinds of disabilities, is whenever you're in a group, you're the only one in that group. And so you often get referred to in that group by your disability. And in 2000 and let's see, this is 20, this is 21. So that's uh, in 2014 or 15. No, it was early because I was, I started with the Midway Marketplace. So I was posting on LinkedIn in a group for bloggers to help each other promote their blog posts. And people in that group just started calling me the blind blogger. And when I decided to start a separate website for it a couple of years later, I asked everybody, I'm like, what should I call myself? And they said, you know, Max, we've been calling you the blind blogger as a means of shorthand for a long time now. If you're going to be anybody, that's who you should be. So that's why I'm the blind blogger. And, you know, from the point of view of, of branding, it's actually become a little bit of a problem because on the one hand, it's unique. It's, it's established. I've got six, seven years posts, social media posts, podcast episodes. I got all that content out there. But on the other hand, it doesn't say everything that I do or that everything even that I may end up doing. So I have days where I think it's too limiting. I have days where, you know, it's like the warm sweater. It's who I've been so long. I don't want to be anybody else. It's uh, the name and the brand that created the logo that shows me as a as a superhero with my catchphrase, what's your excuse on the bottom of the image? And I just uh, continue to do the work. I recently changed my LinkedIn profile to just what's your excuse. And so far, people don't seem to care too much for that. I may have to go back to the blind blogger on LinkedIn as well as other places. But that's, you know, I didn't choose the name. I didn't choose people on the carnival side. They call me Mr. Midway because when I was trying to help a park up in Ohio sell their beloved wooden roller coaster before it got demolished. They were so impressed with what, with the way I treated their memories and their coaster that they just started calling me Mr. Midway. And, you know, people have over the years have said, if Max can do it, then what's my excuse, which has become what's your excuse. But there are days when I think maybe I've got it backwards. Maybe it should be the, what's my excuse show. I don't know. I, I don't claim to be an expert on branding. Thank goodness that, Everything I use is, are things people have said to me or given to me. And, you know, I've got way too many monikers for my own good. One of my favorites that I don't use very often is David Rafe, the host of Join Up Dots, told me that, I have, that I'm the blind terminator. And he also said that I have a Ph.D. In, in hustle and muscle that I earned from the University of Life that I uh, that I matri- that I that I accumulated on Carnival Midways all over the country, you know? So people just say things about me and they stick. And most of the time I'm like, most of the time I'm I like, you know, I'm not really sure that I'm that person or ever will be that person, but I just do the work, let people call me what they want to call me as long as it's not, as long as it's something nice and where possible, I, I, you know, I take advantage of it. We have, uh, you know, we have what's your excuse on the podcast, the network, the merch. And, you know, we're we're hoping to do a what's your excuse book where we have people share their stories of overcoming those things that were holding them back. Hmm. Yeah. And, I, you know, I I I just just one last thought on that. Yeah. I advise people that very few of us are great at branding. So if somebody comes along and gives you a good name, the smart thing to do is to say thank you and run with it. Run with it. And speaking of that, you know, I think Look, when I first saw Blind Blogger, I thought of it as intriguing because you don't necessarily think of a blind person doing blogging. And I was like, whoa, okay. And, and, you know, I think even amongst other people with your condition, that makes you stand out as a person a lot more. And I think it also helps with no excuses because you are essentially a blind blogger, you know. So I think it's a really good name, at least for my opinion. Yeah. It's it's just one of those reminders that, that very little in this world is perfect, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm blessed to have a great name that people know and that shows up when they Google me. 
Excellent. And I think before we end this up, I want to get into no excuses. You know, how did that go? When did you start to make that? And what do you sort of do with that? Well, it, the no excuses thing goes back a long time. Um, I, I grew up in a family that owned a carnival. It was a small seven, eight ride show. We never really had all the resources that we wanted. We usually had to sell an old ride to buy a newer ride. And more often than not, we would get open, which in the carnival business, the only thing that matters is do you get open or not? Because if if people can't buy a funnel cake and ride the Ferris wheel on Thursday night, then you were a failure. So hmm. we uh, more than once, me and my dad, we would bring in the last piece of equipment. We'd bring in a ride or a game trailer, and we'd be getting there just in time to get it set up and get open. And, and people would go, how did y'all do that? There was only two of y'all. You know, how did y'all load that 900-pound moonwalk by yourselves without a winch or a block and tackle? You know, how did y'all do this stuff? And my dad would always look at them, and he'd smile, and he'd go, what? Did we have an excuse? He said, no. He would say, what? Did we have a choice? So, you know, you grow up in a business that teaches you that really nobody cares about your excuses. Even if something happened that legitimately would be a good reason not to make opening, it doesn't matter. I mean, we had a guy fall asleep at the wheel driving a, a adult ride to a festival in Clute, Texas one year. His child died. His wife spent months in a hospital. We lost the festival because that ride didn't make opening. You know, so you learn over the years in the business that I grew up in that for the most part, excuses aren't going to be tolerated. So it generally just becomes part of the way you do things. And then I've realized over time that, you know, we have a choice. We can either decide to find a solution, even if, even if it's a solution we don't like, or we can choose to live with the excuses. Now, I know it's harder than that sounds. I know that's very, that sounds great. I know it's a lot harder than that. But I know it's like everything else we do. If we will start doing it in small things and practice it and and get good at finding those solutions, then eventually they will start turning up whenever we get our find ourselves in, in need to solve a problem, in need of a difficult answer to a question that's been bothering us for a while. You know, that's just the way it has worked over the years. Knowing knowing that there was a solution was how I had coded HTML. Knowing there was a solution is 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 how I was how I managed to get previous clients to rehire me so I could afford to go to a speaking event. Knowing there was a solution was telling the event organizer that the only way I was coming was if he was going to provide me a plane ticket. You know, uh, knowing that there's a, there's a solution is is what is how I decided to sing on my podcast intros and why I sing when I give public talks. There are lots of solutions out there, so. It really just comes down to deciding that we're not going to keep making excuses. And that doesn't happen overnight. It's a lot harder. The more important the thing is to you that you're making excuses about. But there's always a solution. And usually, usually the problem comes down to it's a solution we don't like or the solution has an effect on our ego. And if you could go back in time and speak to your younger self, what would you tell them? I recently heard a quote from Tallulah Bankhead. She was once asked if she had her life to do over again, would she change anything? And she said, she said, I would make all the same mistakes only sooner. So in my case, I hung on to a carnival business for probably five or six years longer than I could have. When I quit a job I had because I at the internal revenue service to go back to the carnival because I it wasn't it wasn't emotionally healthy for me to continue working there in collections uh, that I didn't go to the bank and borrow money to buy to buy a new carnival ride before before I quit you know there there are things I wish I had done sooner or you know had realized what I was going to do when I did it but for the most part I'm much I'm much better off physically, mentally, emotionally now than I would have been if we had managed to keep our carnival going. I'm better off now than now that uh, selling used equipment isn't the only thing I do. You know, so I would have gone back and I would have told myself, don't have tunnel vision. Don't be so focused on being a carnival owner that's a, that that's the only thing you see yourself capable of or interested in. And please 
understand you are capable of so many things that you are not aware of now. If you will just decide to try some of those things, find out if you're good at them or not, and figure out a way to do them that's personally effective for you. So, you know, quit the carnival business sooner, become a blogger sooner, become a podcaster sooner. Those would be the things I would tell myself. Very great advice. And are there any other, this has been a great interview, and are there any other final words you would like to tell the audience? I would say the most important thing that I can tell people is that we have a choice in just about everything. You know, we can choose to try to do everything by ourselves, or we can choose to ask for help and accept help from others when it's offered to us. We can choose to be depressed, or we can choose to find some positive, even in a negative situation. We can choose to find solutions, even if they're solutions we don't like, or we can choose to just avoiding it and not doing that thing we really want to do with all our hearts because we have an excuse that we like better. It really all comes down to decisions as to what we are willing to accept in our own lives. So if there's something you don't like, the odds are you know what to do. You need to decide and take action. And, oh, by the way, start with something small. Please don't listen to Max and quit your job. Please don't listen to Max and borrow $100,000. Please don't listen to Max and uh, and and go off on a trip around the world and, and not know if your house is going to be back when you get home, you know, start with the small stuff. The small stuff is just as scary as the big stuff, which reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. There's a line from the second star Wars movie. I'd like to tell you which one it is, but I get confused where Luke Skywalker has landed his X wing in a swamp. And Yoda tells him to lift the X wing out of the swamp with his, with his, with the force. And Luke says, it's impossible. And Yoda says, there is no big or small. There only is. And I can't tell you how many times that has really served me to remind myself that a moment I was in where I thought things were really big, really scary, that it was just a little bit different than things I had already done. You know, uh, and just one last story. Two years ago, I was, uh, I was booked to give a talk to close a school on starting podcasts. And I get to the event. I'm sitting in the back of the room. They come back from lunch, and I find out that the guy I'm going to I'm going to follow to the microphone is Dave Jackson. Now I don't know if you know who he is. I don't know if your audience knows who he is, but Dave Jackson is a legend in the podcasting world. He has helped people. He's helped over a thousand people launch podcasts, and a very large percentage of those shows are still on the air. Hmm. So I find out I'm going to follow Dave Jackson. The learn to podcast guy. I'm sitting in the back of the room waiting my turn. And at first I'm like, oh shit, Max, what have you done now? And then I was like, wait a minute. This is like that line. There is no big or small. You've given talks in front of other rooms before. You've given this talk before. You know, you've done, you've given a webinar on this topic about overcoming excuses and obstacles to finally get your podcast out there. So, you know, Five or 10 minutes later, I'm totally fine. I'm just waiting my turn. I go up, I give her a great talk. I get, I, I finish my talk by singing a little bit of, of the river. I get a standing ovation and then we go home. Then we all go out and eat. So that's one of those things we have to decide. But if you're going to take action, start with small things and work up to the big stuff. Cause uh, a lot of times that big stuff is just scary. Cause you think it is. Hmm. Excellent story. And, you know, again, great talk, great talk. This has been a wonderful interview. I definitely gained a lot from this, you know, and yeah, thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, just one last thing I like to make sure that I do every time, and that is I started doing podcast interviews um, in 2013, and I did mm. them because I didn't have a good way to go out and meet people face to face. I live in a suburb. I'm blind. We don't have good transit here. But I knew there had to be an, an option. So I found out about radio and podcasting. I started doing interviews in February 2013. So without people like you, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to share my stories, to let people learn, learn from my experiences. 
uh, and and hopefully have them decide that they can, you know, that maybe maybe what I did can work for them. It wouldn't have happened without people like you. Without you and many others, there wouldn't be of the blind blogger or what's your excuse. So I just want to thank you. I want to know, let you know how much I appreciate the time, effort, energy, and passion you put into doing this for me. Well, it is my privilege. What I want you guys to do now is make sure you go down below and purchase David Medansky's book. It's coming out now. He talks a lot about natural dieting, a lot of great information on that book. I'm actually going to start doing his approach pretty soon. So you'll see the results with that. I definitely trust that it works after the last interview that I had with him. So check it out now. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Jimbo Parish Show. 